Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, I thank you for those words that you spoke over 2,000 years ago still have life for us right now. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, use me today to proclaim your word and that word would go deep into our hearts and transform us in your precious name. Amen. If you just want to take a seat. So this morning I'm just doing this uh, message, it's a miscellaneous sort of message on Matthew, um, Matthew 11 verse 28 to 30. Last week I looked at Zacchaeus and next week I'm just going to do a, like a little vision talk, just looking into next year and some of the stuff we want to do as a whānau as we go forward. And then after that we're actually into our Advent season and we've got a few people from the church who are going to be speaking and we finish up on, oh, our last official Sunday is on the 18th, Sunday the 18th of December, it's the Sunday before Christmas which is the Sunday after, we're, gonna, um, we're sort of in the throes of organising a bit of a, a Christmas Eve uh, sort of uh, get-together as well, which will be you know, very informal but a lot of fun. So I can't believe it, the year's just gone so fast and he- here we are. But today I just wanted to share from this, this great, um, it's one of my favourite verses out of the Bible and it's such a beautiful verse. And the reason why... Um, I find this uh, just so... Oh, do you want to go to the next slide, Jackie? This is a great quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what he meant by that, that's, that little quote is that what you think about God, what your image of God is, whether he's angry distant, indifferent, um, kind, generous, whatever way you think about God, your image of God has a massive effect on who you are and, and your, your, your faith. And I, I've heard it said that the two great questions of our life are, is there a God? And the second one, is he good? And I feel for a lot of Christians, um, and I've been one of these at times, is that I've got the first one down. There is a God. I believe there is a God. I believe that the God that, that Scripture reveals to us and the church has handed down to us is real. I, I believe I have faith in that. Um, but I've wrestled with this thing about, is God good? Has anyone else had that similar experience? I think it's quite a common experience that we have. Um, well, a lot of people in the world and even people in the church have that same feeling. And I had... Um, you know, I got saved at 13. I had, I had a, 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 you know, one of those radical altar calls. I remember going up the front, you know, tears streaming down my face. I, I believe it was a genuine experience. And then I also got, I got baptized at 15 again. Incredible moment where I just felt so grateful to God for forgiving my sins and that I was saved and all these sort of things. But when I reflect on those experiences and as I've unpacked it, as I've gone through my 20s and 30s and now into my 40s, is... I think I was just, it was just a sense of relief because I was worried maybe about going to hell or I was worried, I, was, I felt so bad about my sins or my brokenness that I was so grateful to God that he'd forgiven me. Um, but I also, I struggled with this thing 
that I, I kind of knew that God sort of loved me, but I kind of saw it in a way that God loves you like he has to, like it's a duty, like, oh, I've got to love them. Ugh, I created them, I set up this plan, I've got to fulfill this plan, and I've got to love them. And I, I, I wrestle with this thing, like, does God actually like me? He might, like, I, I kind of thought, oh, he has to love me because he's God, and it's his duty kind of thing, like, like a parent or something to a child. But does he actually like me in all my brokenness? And I had this kind of, I don't know if you've had this experience, I kind of get this feeling, I've always had this thing like, is God kind of had enough of me now? Like, you know, come on, Nick, get it together. You know, you keep stuffing up. Here he is again, you know, and is he finally, you know, like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are getting together as I'm getting out to my morning um, devotional time. They're like, oh, here he is again, you know. What sort of stupid things has he done yesterday and this morning? How distracted is he going to be this morning while we're trying to have a relationship with him? And I've, I've, I've sort of wrestled with that my whole life. And I think a lot of us have that, that sense that God's disappointed in us. I've felt that. I've felt like, man, I feel like I'm disappointing you, God. Like, I, I should be doing this better. <laughs> I should be doing this much better, I feel like. And, and I've, I've wrestled with that. And I think it's because of this way that we, we, we often view God. Um, do you just want to go to the next slide, JP? There was these researchers in about 2005, they researched about, they went to 3,000 um, teenagers and they asked them these sort of questions about faith and life. Um, just got a kind of general, what do you think about God or, or faith or spirituality? So it's just across the board kind of thing. And it's really interesting that the findings from the study was these were the key things, the key five things that, they, that came out of the study. And these were the five things that they reported back that these teenagers reported about faith and spirituality. Basically, one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Or five, good people go to heaven when they die. Can have you, have you, have you, Maybe you even, you don't have to put your hand up or anything, but have you had some of those kind of views maybe yourself in your life? Or you know people, or you know people in church or out in the world that have had these kind of views of God and spirituality? Because I think this, this kind of view of God is quite prevalent, right? And when I read this, what I see there is mostly that people view God as distant, that he's indifferent really to our lives. Like It's almost like the analogy of God's like this, the universe's clockmaker and he's sort of doing little bits of work in the universe to make things tick and work and stuff and he's only called upon in a crisis but you don't have a relationship with this sort of mechanical clockmaker off in the skies. He's, he's sort of distant from you. And I think that, that that view is just so prevalent and gets into our hearts and into our view of God. And that's why I was really um, um, relieved when, when I, you know, well, I've, I've gone on this journey of actually knowing that actually that God loves me, but he also likes me and he delights in me. And a book that's been really helpful in that is this book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. And in this book, um, which I'll be using as most of my inspiration today, 
but hey, I'm here to regurgitate for the glory of God. <laughs> he unpacks this passage, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, and he, and he brings out this really awesome revelation out of just seven words that are in, in that actual passage. Do you just want to go to the next slide, JP? So those seven words are, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And just seven words, there's an incredible weight of meaning in there. And this is what he talks about and what he unfolds. This is the one place in all of the Gospels where Jesus opens up his heart and tells you what his heart is like. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Like we throughout the Gospels, which are biographies of Jesus' life, we see him uh, acting with compassion. We see him um, loving people, doing all sorts of incredible things, which we can draw inferences from that he is loving and compassionate. But this is the one place in all four of the Gospels where, where Jesus just pulls back the veil and shows us what his heart is like. And this is important because Jesus represents, he is the greatest representation for us of of what God is like. Do you want to go to the next slide? Oh, keep going. Oh, it's not there, sorry. My apologies. Um, I'll just read it out. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then in Hebrews it says, He is the radiance. This is Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of His nature. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, right? Like if you want to know what God is like, what is His heart? Who is He? What is He like? What does He think about us? What does He. Does he care? What is he like? We look to Jesus. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Isn't that awesome? And then in this, then when you think about that and then you unpack this passage, here's Jesus saying, this is what I'm like. And what's really interesting here is, is, is that when Jesus shares about what his heart is, it's a little bit different from what we describe as our heart. Because in, in Western kind of thought, we think about our heart as our emotions and sometimes our thoughts and stuff. It's like the center of all that. But in, in Hebrew kind of worldview and mindset, the heart was the, the core of someone. It was like the, almost like the controlling center of someone. It was their animating part of them that made them get out of bed in the morning. Like what, what got Jesus out of bed in the morning? This is what got Jesus out of the bed in the morning that he was gentle and lowly in heart. Now, I, I appreciate that that language is a little bit, um, little bit, sort of un, a little bit old-fashioned, particularly lowly, so I'll just unpack that a little bit. But some of your Bibles might even have um, humble in heart. Um, but I'll just go through that next. Uh, do you just want to go back a slide, JP? Go back, I think. Oh, no, sorry, go forward. We're having a great day today, <laughs> technologically wise. Keep going. Doing great. Keep, go- keep going. Oh, okay. It's all right. 
It's okay, it's okay. Um, so he talks about these two words, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And what he means by this, um, when, you, when you look at the, the Greek and when you look at the background to those words, is that gentle means that he is tender, that he is compassionate. This means that Jesus is not um, easily flustered or angry, that he's not um, indifferent, that he is compassionate, that he's tender, he's gentle with us. He's very gentle with us. And then when it says, and lowly in heart, what it's talking about there, um, and obviously the other translation says humble in heart, it's talking about that he's accessible. So basically what this is saying, Jesus is saying, I am the most tender, most loving, most compassionate being in the universe, and I'm also the most accessible. So that the the, the, the thing with Jesus is that it's not, he's not doing a pointing finger at you. He's got open arms, a warm embrace bringing you home. What, wonderful, what a wonderful picture of what our, what our God is like. And then this is, we see this in action. Um, in, um, do you just want to go forward, JP? Oh, yeah, I'll re- sorry, I'll read the quote out, actually. This is from Dane Ortland. He says, he does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's why he came to heal. He went, went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. That's the heart of God. It says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And, you know, the joy that set before him wasn't going up on the cross. Jesus was not excited about that. If you're familiar with the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood about how horrible that was going to be physically and spiritually and emotionally. But the joy that was set before him was us. Because Jesus knew that going through that cross would bring us redemption, would bring us life, would bring us restoration, would bring us hope, and he could see that, and that was the joy that was set before him as he endured the cross. And this is a, an interesting point that he, Dane Ortland also makes in this book, is that we often think that our sin and our brokenness and all the stuff that's going on in our life is the very thing that repels God. I don't know if it's been your experience, but every time I stuff up, it's my natural tendency is to withdraw, right? Like, oh man, I stuffed this up again. Like, oh, I can't go pray. I can't be in God's presence because I'm not worthy. But it's your very unworthiness that, that qualifies you. And this is what he makes the point in the book about, is that, that Jesus is not repelled by our brokenness and sin. He's attracted to it. We're just coming into the season of Advent and Christmas where we celebrate the incarnation of, of Christ. That when Jesus came down, took on flesh, became one of us. That's what we say, Emmanuel, that God with us. As Eugene Peterson said in the message, God moved into the neighborhood. Like he came and lived with us in our world, and he knows the pain, the suffering. He knows what it is to be fully human as well as being fully God. And this is, this is the point, is that, that no matter how broken or how weary or tired we are, that's what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is saying, that is the very thing that is the invitation 
to draw us in to God's presence. Is, is he, he loves to climb into our problems and our stress and our anxiety and our brokenness, and he loves to heal. That's his very heart for us. This is the heart of God, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Just want to go ahead to... And we see this in action in John 11, 33 to 38. This is, if you're familiar with this passage, Jesus, uh, a friend of his, Lazarus, has died, and the family have gathered him to come and, like, you know, could you do something about this Jesus kind of thing? Our friend's died and stuff. And there's an interesting here because he says, this is Jesus looking at the people. He said, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with him also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, which is actually the shortest uh, sentence in the Gospels. Just a fun fact for you. Uh, So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. What is really interesting in this passage is that we, we know, because um, we often read the Bible, we know Jesus is, is going to heal Lazarus and we know he has the power to do it. And even Jesus knows he can do that and will do that. But in this moment, he sees the pain and the brokenness of his friends and he feels compassion. What a, what a beautiful God that he didn't just snap his fingers, heal Lazarus and then carry on. He actually, in that moment, entered into their brokenness. He saw their pain. He had empathy for their situation. He wept. He was deeply moved within his heart for Lazarus and their their family and what had happened here. And then he acted in in his mercy and, and raised Lazarus from the dead. What a beautiful picture into the heart of God. And we see this as well in, in the story of the sinful woman who comes to anoint Jesus' feet. And Jesus is at, with a Pharisee and he's, he's at the house and this guy's sort of quizzing him about a whole lot of things. And in the middle of this meal, this woman just bowls in and starts like washing his feet with her tears, anointing his feet with perfume. And Jesus, like in a beautiful way, says to this Pharisee, he says, Simon, do you see this woman? It's, it's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. He saw this woman who, in her, all her brokenness. She was a person who was um, completely marginalized in their society, the lowest of the low. And here he is talking to this Pharisee and he says, do you see this woman? And he, do you notice he's not repelled by this woman washing his feet? I don't know how I would be if some uh, rando started like, you know, washing my feet. It'd be just weird anyway. But then like tears and, and then you've got like perfume and hair and stuff. Like that would be really weird and awkward in our context, let alone theirs. But here he is. This is God. He's not repelled by this woman. He, is, he, he lets this woman do this. And then he, he acknowledges this woman and he restores this woman. This is sort of this heart of God for people in suffering and in brokenness that we see throughout the Gospels. And it all comes from this animating center of God's heart that he is gentle and lowly in heart. That that is the very heart of God, that he is, that that is, he is compassionate, that he's accessible, that he longs to be with his people. I'm just doing a, it's a very short message today, um, but I thought what we could finish if you don't mind, by standing. In that Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, 
Jesus says, you know, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. And a, a better translation sometimes is a yoke, my yoke is kind. Um, that there, there is a yoke that you can carry in life, the yoke of um, burdens, of expectations, of sin, of brokenness, maybe workaholism, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're carrying upon your shoulders. And, and, and Jesus is like, take that off you. Be yoked to me. Have that kind yoke, that light and easy yoke upon you, and I will help you do life because I am a gentle, tender, and compassionate God, and I am accessible. You don't have to do anything. Your only requirement is just to to need him, (laughs) to want him. You don't have to achieve anything. He says, come, take my yoke upon you. And I just thought this morning I'd I'd like to just read these words over us. And if there's anyone here that what I've shared about today has has touched something for you, um, yeah, would you mind even now just putting up your hand and we could get some people around you to pray for you? Is anyone? No, everyone's good here, so cool. That's good. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to read these words over you. And then um, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And we're just going to see what he's wanting to do with us today. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, Holy Spirit. We know that you're here, Holy Spirit. We know that you live within us and you're around us. But when we say, come, Holy Spirit, we're saying, awake, awaken our souls to you. Make us aware of your presence. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come minister to us this morning where there's weariness where there's tiredness where there's frustration where people feel broken and needy Lord would you come with your tender mercy and grace and minister to us and fill us this morning